Our gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he rented it to tenant farmers and took a trip. When it was time for harvest, he sent his servants to the tenant farmers to collect his fruit. But the tenant farmers grabbed his servants. They beat some of them, and some of them they killed. Some of them they stoned to death. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group. They treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come on, let's kill him and we'll have his inheritance. They grabbed him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They said he will totally destroy those wicked farmers and rent the vineyard to other tenant farmers who will give him the fruit when it's ready. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it's amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that God's kingdom will be taken away from you and will be given to a people who produces its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be crushed, and the stone will crush the person it falls on. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, they knew Jesus was talking about them. They were trying to arrest him, but they feared the crowds who thought he was a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. One of my favorite bands is Over the Rhine, out of Cincinnati. And they have a song where the chorus says, You are 80% angel, 10% demon, and the rest is hard to explain. Well, as a preacher, I like to spend my time talking about that 80% angel that is you. I'm not that fond about talking about that 10% we like to pretend isn't there. But sometimes we have to look at the less flattering parts of ourselves, that 10% demon. And that's what Jesus is doing in these parables. Last week, today, next week, Jesus tells three parables in a row that are meant to expose to us those things about ourselves that we want to believe aren't there. But pretending a problem isn't a problem doesn't solve any problems. That's true on large scales when it comes to pandemics and racial injustice. It's also true on the small scale when I lose my temper at my dog? Are we willing to look in the mirror that Jesus holds up to us? It's not always flattering to know the truth, but the truth will set us free. Jesus tells this parable of 
the tenant farmers, while he is leading a people's occupation in the temple in Jerusalem. This is just after Palm Sunday, and he is in a confrontation with the chief priests and religious leaders in Jerusalem. And these disputes that they are having aren't mere questions of religion and biblical interpretation. No, this is Jesus debating the most powerful people of his time on their home court, or at least what he perceived to be, what they perceived to be their home court. I'm calling this series God's Politics because Jesus is having a dispute with the most powerful people of his time, and he is challenging their vision of how the world works and instead asserting God's norms, God's plan for this world, God's politics. Last week, we saw the parable of the two sons where Jesus invited the religious leaders to consider in the words of Oliver Cromwell, he beseeches us to consider that we may be mistaken. This week, Jesus turns up the heat even more, inviting us to see that it's not only possible that we may be mistaken, it's in fact much worse than that tells a story about a landowner who plants a vineyard in order to make wine. And he hires these tenant farmers to care for the vineyard while he's away. And so at harvest time, he sends some servants to collect the fruit, and those servants are seized and and beaten. Some of them are killed. Now, if you were the landowner, what would you do at this point? It's your vineyard. And these are your servants, and your employees have done this to you. How would you respond? I can tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't just send more servants a second time and hope for a better outcome, but that's exactly what the landowner does. He sends more servants. Same thing happens. Well, now you think, well, okay, enough is enough. You've learned your lesson twice now, Mr. Landowner. These employees of yours are acting more like tyrants, doing so in the face of your cool-headed mercy. At some point, you've just got to lower the boom, give them a taste of their own medicine. But notice that's not what this landowner does. It's unthinkable, but he says, I'm going to send my son. They will respect my son. Who would ever do such a thing? And and why? Did he hope that somehow sending his son, the farmers would realize what they'd done and, and repent? Is this landowner just being stupid? King Hussein bin Talal reigned over Jordan for 47 years. And over that time, there were many assassination attempts on his life, none of them successful. And in the early 1980s, his security force informed him that there was a group of 75 or so army generals of his that were meeting in a building plotting a military coup. And they suggested to the king that they surround this building and bring all of those rebels to justice. The king heard this report and paused and said, bring me a small helicopter. 
So the king flew in this helicopter to the building where these 75 rebels were meeting. And he told the pilot of the helicopter to leave him. And if there were gunshots that he could hear to take off without him. And so unarmed, the king went into the room where these military men were plotting against him. And he presented himself to them and said, Gentlemen, it has come to my attention that you are meeting here tonight to finalize your plans to overthrow the government, to take over the country, and to install a military dictator. If you do this, the army will break apart and the country will plunge into civil war. Tens of thousands of innocent people will die. There is no need for this. Here I am. Kill me and proceed. That way, only one man will die. After a moment of silence, all 75 officers rushed forward to the king and kissed his hand and pledged their loyalty to him once more. Commenting on this story, biblical scholar Ken Bailey says, King Hussein opted for total vulnerability. He acted nobly, and by so doing, he fanned into flame the dying embers of the rebels' sense of honor. The landowner in Jesus' parable opts for this same path, hoping that the presence of his son might rekindle the honor of these tenant farmers. You see, that the landowner knows something that many of us forget. That when other people harm us, retaliation is not our only option. All retaliation does is teach people that they should come with more force the next time. It just keeps the violence in circulation, ensuring that more and more people will be harmed. But the path of total vulnerability in the face of violence holds within it the possibility that even the violent might be redeemed. This is what Dr. King understood. This is what King Hussein knew. And this is what God knows too. Now in this story, the tenants kill the landowner's son too. And so Jesus asks his audience, what do you think the landowner will do when he returns and finds his son dead? They respond, well, he will totally destroy those wicked farmers. That's really interesting, isn't it? That's what we would expect this landowner to do. See, we think that mercy works to a certain point. But eventually you have to fight fire with fire. At some point, you have to use violence to stop violence. That's what most people assume. But Jesus gives us something else to consider. He quotes Psalm 118, saying, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is amazing to us. And within that little quotation contains all the hope we need. 
See, we think that there is an end to mercy, that at some point in this life or the next, God will mete out judgment and finally get tough on crime. Psalm 118 suggests something much better than that. In telling this story to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, Jesus is inviting them to take a hard look in the mirror, to do a ruthless moral inventory, to see themselves as the tenant farmers who instead of caring for God's people were acting like tyrants. See, they forgot that they didn't own the vineyard. They didn't own the temple. It didn't belong to them. And the things that they had, these were gifts to be shared, not plunder to be hoarded. They were there to care for God's people. But as stewards, they were acting dishonorably. Now, it'd be painful to look in the mirror and see this about yourself. That's why over the last two millennia, the church has normally read this story and thought this applied to the Pharisees of the time. This is a story about their unfaithfulness. But that is an exercise in missing the point. Jesus is inviting us to see ourselves as those who have acted dishonorably, who have trusted in violence over vulnerability. It's not hard to look around our world right now, to look around our politics, our own hearts, and see dishonorable behavior on full display. See, the story isn't about someone else. It's about us. And that's really hard to accept. Because no one likes to see the 10% of ourselves we wish wasn't there. But if we can't accept it, if we can stop projecting our sins onto someone else, then there is hope for us. Because the truth, as painful as it can be, will always set us free. Psalm 118 invites us to consider that the thing that we reject, the thing that we resist and fight, is the very thing that God is using to build something new in our lives, something beautiful. God accepts our rejection, using it to create something amazing in our eyes. God responds to our violence with vulnerability. Though we would expect God to meet our ruthlessness with even more ruthlessness, God is not like us in this regard. God keeps taking our sin and sending back love in the sure and certain hope that one day we will be won over by God's radical love. Though we may reject it, it is the cornerstone of our lives, the foundation of our very existence. God's vulnerable, radical, extraordinary love for you. Today is World Communion Sunday, where we are invited to see that the bonds that we share with brothers and sisters across the globe are greater than any barriers that might separate us. It's a day that reminds us that God's politics transcends all national and cultural barriers. This is a day that 
reminds us that though the world may trust that violence is the path to power, we know that self-emptying love, that self-emptying love of God is what matters. That God who is willing to die for us rather than retaliate. And that love can fan into flame that dying embers of our own honor. And in this time where it feels as though our world is falling apart, where it seems as though cruelty and dishonor will win the day, remember that our king is one who accepts our rejection, who meets our cruelty with vulnerability, and invites us to trust that his love will win in the end. Amen.